The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. We've got Mark Donnelly and Kara Waddell. Good morning, Kara. Good morning, Mark. I thought it's an awful little calming. Yeah, we all need music. that, don't we? Yeah. Really. In today's world, we could use very. Summer's here, we too. We keep playing Kara. once in a while. You play this nice spa like music. It reminds me of this. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, and I'm going to get started with, uh, you know, our Treasury Secretary. You know, there's a lot of talk about what's going on with the infrastructure plan, you know, the American Jobs Act, and whether or not we're going to have tax increases, Mm -hmm. whether it's going to be corporate or individual or a combination of both. So Janet Yellen, of course, keeps getting asked that. And I always say, she's not Yellen. She's Janet Yellen. Inside the jobs plan, we are proposing to fundamentally reform the corporate tax system. That will help offset the cost of the proposed public investments. With corporate taxes at an historical low of 1% of GDP, we believe the corporate sector can contribute to this effort by bearing its fair share. See, she always just gets, she never gets excited. Mm-hmm. She doesn't yell. She just says. No yelling, yelling. She's not yelling, she's not, she, but, <laughs> but she's always making sense. Okay. You know, one of the things we keep saying is that, yeah, if you're going to, we just printed a lot of money to get out of the Rona recession without any tax increases. Now, is there going to have to be some tax increases if we ever want to pay off the debt deficit? Is there going to be tax increases? So do you you just keep putting it off and off and off or do you bite the bullet and get started? We propose simply to return the corporate tax toward historical norms. At the same time, we want to eliminate incentives that reward corporations for moving their operations overseas and shifting profits to low-tax countries. As part of this effort, we're working with our international partners on a global minimum corporate tax to stop the race to the bottom. We're confident that the investments and tax proposals in the jobs plan, taken as a package, will enhance the net profitability of our corporations and improve their global competitiveness. And we hope business leaders will see it this way and support the jobs plan. Now, that's that's the big question, right? Will, Will the rest of the corporate leaders go along with that or where they won't. So where do we stand right now? Well, of course, President Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, right, lowered the top corporate tax rate from 28%, which at that point was one of the highest in the world, down to 21. Right. And it helped the economy. And it helped the economy until the uh, Rona recession, right? Now, President Biden wants to bring it back up to, well, no, actually it was probably higher than 20. Biden wants to bring it back up to 28%. It might have been higher under prior Trump. But Biden wants to bring it back up to 28%, which I think it was right where Trump lowered it. But again, there's not a lot of Republicans who are going to go along with that plan. You know, Mitch McConnell has basically drew a red line, right, and said, I, we are not interested in reneging on the President Trump's tax act. Mm-hmm. And that's not where we're going to start. But yet, if... Where are you going to start, Mitch? Now, so you've got the Biden's 28 percent. You've got Trump's 21 percent. And so who's really going to make that final 
compromise. Well, I keep going to the person who probably has more power right now than President Biden when it comes to tax law changes in this country, and that's Joe Manchin. Okay. Um, and Joe Manchin is saying that he's throwing out the 25%. Okay. Now, so is that where we're going to settle? Now, a couple things may happen. This is all tied up with what the Democrats want to get done here, the next, you know, infrastructure one, right? The What President Biden calls American Jobs Act. And the idea mm-hmm. that everybody seems to be in agreement that we need infrastructure. And if you're not going to do infrastructure, you know, when interest rates are this low, when are you going to do it? We know it's long overdue. Is it going to get done this time or mm-hmm. is it just not going to get done? I, I'm again? doubtful. And that'll be a big shame if it doesn't get done mm-hmm. again. After, you know, every new administration coming in, it's always on the, the front. Oh, I am going to be the one who gets the infrastructure. You know, everyone's saying we need infrastructure. We need roads. We need better airports. We need better, you know, we need trains to nowhere, whatever. The, the idea is let's get it done. It'll get people working. It'll, it will improve things. And we're at low interest rates. When right. else are you going to do it? But. Should you raise some taxes to help pay for it? Well, I get I I well, don't know. Where else does the government get money? You know, well, I think I think there's any bipartisan support to cut spending, Carrie. I wish, but there's not. I know, but they should be. They should be fiscally responsible, and I think that's ridiculous because the reality is, every other American, what do you have to do? Earn more or cut your costs? So, anyways, back to does how this affects your personal financial planning, right? Well, you might say it doesn't. In other words, if if, if that's what we're saying, be calm. I mean, there's nothing changed yet. But there may be opportunities this year before changes are made, depending on your situation. Right. You, you, you could have a target on your back. Right. And you might not have a target on your back. But you also, regardless, the Trump tax cuts aren't going to last forever either. Unless you believe that the Republicans will gain seats and recontrol right. either the Senate and or the House in 2022, and if Trump comes back and wins in 2024. Right. That's a big maybe. Who knows? Do you want to count on that or do you want to be proactive? I don't know. So, you know, are we headed to that fiscal cliff? If you're in, but, but see, what you have to do is, you know, you don't ask your neighbor whether they're headed for the fiscal cliff or not in 2026. What we mean by that is the the, the Trump Tax Act with the lower individual income tax rates and the uh, higher federal state tax exemption is set to expire at the end of 2025, you know, unless Congress extends those or makes them permanent. Well, right now, the Republicans do not have enough votes to do either of those things. And I don't think there's too many Democrats crossing the aisle saying, I want to keep, I want to extend the Trump tax cuts. So you're right. There's probably not a great chance, but there is a lot of people who believe that by 2026, Republicans will be back in control. Right. Well, there's a lot that can happen between now and then. Absolutely. Um, So get us started. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. You're listening to Financial Food for Thought. We're here every Saturday morning on 1420 AM between 9 and 10. We're an educational talk program here to give you helpful information about issues that could impact your financial life, whether you're working and wondering when I can afford to retire or what kind of retirement lifestyle I have if I retire or if you're already there and in retirement and want to know the spending, how can I, um, what can I spend without running out of money? How much risk should I be taking on? Um, although we don't do investments, our clients either handle the investments on their own in many cases, or they already work with an investment advisor, which we're big on coordination of advisors. But you need to know how much risk you really should be taking on. Some people aren't taking on enough risk. Other people maybe lost big in 2008 and say, you know what? Little growth is better than loss. And if that's how you feel, but do you know how that affects the longevity of your plan and other people because they earned a lot in the bull run and you have short term memory, you know, maybe if you're getting closer to retirement, you need to relook at things or do you know what growth rate you need? Because if you need a specific growth rate and then you we look at your allocation and talk to your investment person and say, hey, 
you're taking on way more risk than you need to to do everything you could want based on conservative, realistic assumptions. And we look at all these things as well as financial disruptors or things that can derail your financial plan. Or do you know how they may affect you? That's the worries that people have about inflation, you know, market volatility. If there's a market downturn, a long-term care stay, a premature death of a spouse. The Biden inflation, Carrie. Yeah. So whatever that may be, you know, we can model it in. The company that sponsors the show, the estate planning team, is an affordable fee-based Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. And what we do is those financial modeling and build these long-term realistic plans and also help people through objective, unbiased analysis with those financial choices. Timing of Social Security, um, pension election analysis, um, IRA distribution planning, or if I'm working, how much should I put in the traditional? Should I be contributing to a Roth, the HSA? Um, and then how do you create the um, do distribution planning, which that can be tricking. And for, and for some people, they miss opportunities um, because if you can take money out of those tax qualified assets at a much lower tax rate, so you, your spending comes first, tax planning comes second. You know, we look at all these pieces, moving pieces and parts, and we've talked before about underutilized assets. We do a lot at the estate planning team and been helping people for more than 35 years. We're accredited and A-rated members of the Better Business Bureau and Super Service Award winners multiple years on Angie's list. And we help people just have a good, solid plan so they know how to adjust, looking at the financial products they have and strategies they're using and, you know, is it appropriate? How do they use it? Because too many people come in, I think, even for the free consultation that we offer and say, oh, I bought this. But they really don't understand what they got, how it's used, the long-term purpose. I don't know. You know, it sound good. You did that one show. You talked about the sizzle on some of these things, which a lot of products are good. It's how they're used. And most products or strategies are not all or none. It's not all in. You don't have to move everything or parts of it. But we help people with all the moving pieces and parts of your financial life. And we do offer a free no obligation consultation. We're happy to meet in person. We can do those by phone. Um, and if you'd like to take advantage of those, you can call 440-239-2090. Leave a message. We will call you back on Monday morning. That's 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. And Mark, before you get started, I did have a couple that came in. I thought you were going to announce your summer ago. special, Carrie. Oh, no. Well, there's always some if, periodically. There is one now. There's some incentives on the website. If you want to go check it out, the website has our podcast. You can sign up for newsletters. When I get classes going, which depending on what happens, we're hoping to get some classes yeah. going in this fall. I will post those there as soon as I think they're viable. You can And, the, and if you sign up for the newsletter, you're going to be the first to know about that as well. Um, but, um, I always have incentives there for the free consultations or I have different, um, off and on, but a couple of weeks ago and where they decided to work with us were a couple that they're in their, um, husband's 59, wife 60. They really are tired of working long hours and even just, you know, I think sometimes COVID or just this circumstances put things in perspective and saying like, we really just want to enjoy life. We've worked hard. We've worked long hours. Zoom fatigue. Yeah. Probably, and that's a real thing they say. I guess from that's some why that's why I, I never did Zoom meetings. Yeah, I know. Which people comment that you know, and I was like, because it's about their numbers and the reports. We have other ways to do that, <laughs> but that is a thing. I know, supposedly. Yeah, I don't know. So, I can see that, but they wanted to retire earlier. You know, their original thinking they'd work till their full Social Security age, sixty-seven. But or even at least Medicare at 65 because of health care. And now they've like worked. They barely went on vacations. They raised their kids. They helped their kids through college and did all these different things. And now they're saying, is it realistic? Because we only want to work another year or two. Mm -hmm. And well, that depends on always what kind of retirement lifestyle you want. And they really just say, I'm done with this. Life is short. Things happen. We want to do things that we want to do now. Right. We've always said on this show that you can retire whenever you want. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that you can control. Right. And we part of our coaching exercises with new clients is to talk to them about you, 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 you can't get caught up with everything that's totally beyond your control. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't control the stock market. That's a very simple right. example, right? You can control how much of your nest egg is in stocks, you know, mm-hmm. but you do control your retirement date for the most part. For the I, most part. I, I, I know was some say, people but some don't. Some people also have health issues that maybe yeah. you should retire. I, right. Or, there, there's always, we're just talking generalizations. Right. right. But or health of a spouse, maybe right. you really want to stop working so you can take care of But something. we always say, yeah, you can, you can walk in and, re- and, you know, announce your retirement tomorrow. But the real question or what you really want to figure out is what type of lifestyle can you maintain for the rest of your life if you do retire And can you cover the health care? Because when you're before 65, health care price tags are pretty hefty. But some people who come in that think they could never have swung it, and we're using very expensive, high-end Healthcare projections, they can it's doable. Or we're helping them navigate the Obamacare exchanges that right. you could get subsidies if you can, you know, keep an eye on what your income is. Right. Use the opportunities. The government gives opportunities as well as problems. And the government just expanded the Obamacare subsidies for a couple of years for the Rona, you know, recovery. So the idea is, yeah, how do you get comfortable? Knowing you can retire. And that's why there's a lot out there on the Internet, right, Carrie? Sometimes I call it the DIYI, right, the do-it-yourself Internet. But a lot of those quick retirement plans doesn't really leave the clients in decision-making mode because it's not getting them comfortable enough. And that's why we're talking about the 4% rule. I, you know, I started that last week. You know, I'd go back and listen to our podcast. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that this week because also, a.k.a. another known, another name for the 4% rule, sometimes when you're out there on the DIYI, is they, it's called the 10-minute retirement plan or sometimes now even the 2-minute retirement plan. And what do they mean by that? And, yeah, you can use a very surface-level tool like the 4% rule. Which I think gives you an idea. Am I am I in the ballpark? Am I going to go, okay, it really doesn't tell you how do I create my income tax efficiently. It just says this is how much you take out. Well, how do I do that? Do I watch the thresholds? Have I thought about taxation, Social Security, Medicare B premiums, all these moving parts? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all those things that you can control that the 4% rule doesn't even address. It's, well, do you have a pension election you need to make? When are you going to start Social Security? And, and the Social Security election, um, you know, how much discretionary spending? See, discretionary spending is in your control, right? Well, mm-hmm. for most people. Right. Sometimes. Depends. Sometimes. It's sometimes not you have a spouse and it can go either way that's, you know, we've had a few of those over the year and that's harder to build. The cushion for the spouse might be a little bit bigger. Right. So, so we'll continue talking about, well, is the four percent rule broken? You know, you'll see a lot of news headlines. No, it's misused. It's math is not two plus two is still two. Four. I mean, it's four. Jeez, are you doing the new math or the short math? <laughs> the new math, because if I can explain why in my mind in the new math why that's correct, my explanation is more important than right. whether so, I'm yeah, correct. So, so the the four percent rule. I'll talk a little bit more about that today, and. When you read the two-minute or the 10-minute retirement plan, chances are they're using some version of the 4% rule, even if they're not calling it that, because math is math. You know, everybody uses the same math. Uh, before I do that, there's a, the idea of staying in control and being calm right now is we've got a lot of discussion and a lot of clients saying, well, is the step up in basis going away? And do I need to be worried about federal state taxes again? Or, you know, are we going to have, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax, you know, you know, put in place. And no, I, it's not happening yet. And it might never happen. And even if it does happen, do you need to be worried about it? And if you might not need to be worried about it, right? So we'll talk about, uh, talk, you know, continue, you know, trying to tell our clients, well, first of all, even if you wanted to go down that path, you know, are you going to be subject to that progressive tax if it gets implemented? And sometimes that's where a good financial model 
you need to, to project out. It's not that you're dying today. So it's not necessarily where your estate size is today if you're concerned that it's going to be you know ground down by an estate tax when you die or pass assets to your children. So really what you have to project out is where you think your estate will be in terms of gross value when you do pass. And that's where, again, you use conservative and realistic assumptions. And you and that helps you decide, am I am I going to have an issue later on that I need to start working on now? Or I, even in my even if I spend all the discretionary spending I'm planning, I'll still never be. I mean, I'm going to spend down my estate t- as opposed to letting it go above where the right. federal state tax exemption lands. So that's the type of modeling that we help our clients understand because it's hard to do 20, 25, 30 years of cash flows in your head, especially when you add in a very complicated tax code. Um, Carrie, I'm also, something other things have come up, the stimulus checks, right? Mm-hmm. So we're getting some information out of the IRS is that they're having a little bit of a problem with how Americans are dealing with these stimulus checks. So meaning people who got them saying they haven't got them. Right. People who didn't get them say they should be getting them. Right. And I would guess this could be a big problem. And people who died who got them. Well, remember when you said you were when you were going online that once like even when people tried to check, they got rid of the historical data because you would think they would have kept that. Like if I want to see which checks I got, I should be able to plug in my information and say you receive we sent this, this and this. Well, they got rid of some of that historical data and only put the latest thing. Well, it's a lot hard to figure out. Well, that's part of the problem because the government sent the people who got checks were sent, supposedly, a form. Well, we haven't had trouble with the mail this year. And the form (laughs) documents what the government says they sent you. So that is something, if you get that in the mail, you want to hold on to that. Now, I've been asking our clients who got stimulus checks, did you get the letter? Now, it's, it's the notice number, Carrie, it was, it's 1444. Okay. Okay. And there's been three of them, A, B, and C. Okay. okay. Because there's been three stimulus checks. Right. And a lot of people are saying, Mark, is the fourth one coming? I, I don't, don't think so. Don't hold your breath. Come I don't on. think it's coming, but who knows? There's, I, I, I hear that they have two million signatures that want the fourth stimulus check. Well, I, <laughs> I guess if you went out and asked Americans, mm-hmm. hey, will you sign, do you want a fourth stimulus check? Sign this yes or no. Probably most people are going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that carries any weight in Congress, I don't know. Right. Or how are you going to pay for the fourth stimulus check? Who knows? But anyways, there's been three of them. Now, the first one you remember, President Trump sent out a letter, right? Remember, because it came and a lot of people were upset because President Trump, remember, he put his signature on the first stimulus check and, and his name was on this first letter. A lot of people didn't realize that was the official letter documenting whether you got the first stimulus check or not. In other words, that was Form 1444A, or the first one. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the second one, you know, and that was the $1,200 one, right? Then the second stimulus check was $600, right? And that was, you know, Form 1444B. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing is that the first stimulus check, most people, oh, everyone got it in 2020. The second stimulus check, some people got it in December of 2020. Most people got it in January of 2021. So that's caused some confusion. Right. Because a lot of them came out January 1st. If you were direct deposit, we heard from a lot of people that actually New Year's Day, Happy New Year's. Yeah. And that's kind that, of odd, and, even with being a holiday right. with banks, and so, adds to the confusion. And that crosses over tax years, which is confusing. The third stimulus check was obviously in 2021. Okay. Now, the other confusing thing is that really what what determines whether you should have gotten the first and second stimulus check is actually your 2020 tax year. 
Okay. Now, it was based on your 2019 tax return. Because you didn't file the 2019 necessarily. The 2020, the 2020 necessarily when the checks went out. Right, especially the first one and the second one, really. So the idea was the government said, okay, we'll use 2019. And by the way, if you had not filed the 2019, they might have used 2018. But that's causing some of the confusion for people who didn't file and they should have gotten a stimulus check, right? But in either case, then the idea was whatever the however the government made the decision based on your 2019 return, your 2020 return, if, for example, you're, based on 2019, you did not deserve to get the full amount, right? Because you were, were being phased out because mm-hmm. of income. But in 2020, you actually did report lower income. You were allowed to get what was called the recovery rebate credit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that became part of your refund, so to speak. Well, there's now some confusion about 2021 and the third stimulus check because some people are saying, well, based on my 2019 tax return, I, I, I would have not gotten right. any of the third stimulus check. Correct. But based on my 2020 tax return, I should have. But right. here's the difference. Your third stimulus check isn't really going to be based on the 2020 tax return. It's going to be based on 2021? 2021. So whether or not you're going to, so you might have to, so if you have, if you, based on your 2020 tax return, and now again, that might have not been filed because of the extended due date until after the government already went through the first wave of sending out (laughs) the third stimulus check. Which is why people are confused. You think? Mm -hmm. Because I'm confused. I just confused myself. Right. So you may still have an opportunity if... Indeed, your 2021 tax return, when you file it next year, and it's below the income threshold where you get the third stimulus check. You get a credit. I'm assuming you, you apply. We assume like we that did. there's going to be another recovery rebate credit. Now, there has to be. Now, will the IRS eventually go through the 2020 returns and say, oh, this taxpayer, we didn't send a third stimulus check check based on 2019 but now we have the 2020 we're going to go ahead and be good people and send it out to them i say no it's the government i don't know but the other thing too is just if i could just you know other headlines are going to be saying oh did you hear this carrie average tax refunds are up this year Hmm. okay okay who cares i mean to me that's the most meaningless headline is it up Two percent, like yeah, it doesn't. Well, no, I'm, I'm just I saying. Or you don't care because the bottom line is, did all those people then just give the government a tax-free loan throughout? Well, the not year? only that, but really, why? To me, the important thing is your tax liability, not whether you're getting a refund or not. Because you could have had too much withholdings, you could have done more of an, uh, you know, contribution. And so before you, you know, break out the tang minosas because you've heard that, you know, <laughs> tax refunds are up. First of all, well, do you know why? If, if let's say you did get a larger tax refund than what you were expecting. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's a pleasant surprise. But do you know why? Here, here, for example, one of the things I'm noticing, and, and again, we don't prepare tax returns for our clients at the estate planning team. Right. But we coordinate all the time with our clients, you know, tax return preparers, whether they're doing themselves with one of the robots or an enrolled agent or a CPA. And one of the things, um, you know, when you talk about your safe harbors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what did President Biden, I thought he was talking about, say, do you, do you hear his comment this week, Greg? You know, talking about the bipartisanship, uh, what did he say? He I don't know, he's always oh, making stupid comments. Hate can be given no safe harbors in America. Do you hear him say that? No. I thought he was talking he's about estimated so taxes, stupid. but I guess he wasn't. Sorry. Um, still, the best, the best line I've heard from President Biden so far is when he made that comment, successful electoral politics is the art of the possible. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but... I was going to say... Mm. Um, now, back to what I've noticed about this year. So a lot of times when the robots calculate what you should be paying in an estimates of taxes or whether you're going to do it through withholding or quarterly estimates, it's basing on what we call the previous year safe Harbor. It's looking at see what your tax liability was last year and say, okay, just have hundred percent of that paid in or 110% if you're over last year's AGI was over 150,000. All right. 
And we talk about safe harbors all the time on this show. Now, a lot of times the robot will make an assumption that whatever dividends that the taxpayer reported the previous year will be the same this year. Now, that's not always a good assumption. Okay. And unless you change, unless you go into the robot and tell and change that, it may just be assuming that. Okay. Now, that was especially bad assumption coming off the Rona recession year. Because as we know, across the S&P 500, there was a huge dividend cut. Okay. You know, when, when the shutdown happened. And so what I'm noticing very consistently when my clients are bringing in their 2020 tax returns, the dividends that they reported in 2020 were a lot less than 2019. Okay. Now, because of that, they might have got a bigger refund. Okay. So are you happy? No. No. All right. Um, so, so that's what I'm saying. When, when I don't get too excited when I see that uh, nationally refunds are up. That, that's meaningless to me. Okay. That's like as, as meaningless to me as quoting the Dow uh, points, how much the Dow increased the points in, in any one day. Okay. Um, it's meaningless. You know, what you want to know is, is your tax liability going up? Or if you're getting a bigger refund, is it because you're getting less dividends or something else that you've made an assumption on that's no longer a good assumption? But here's the real issue. So what do you do for 2021 if you're going through the same exercise and trying to determine how much do I have to have paid in? Because do you think that the, because we've heard now, Carrie, because we've had this K-shaped recovery, this beach ball boom uh, right. recovery, a lot of corporations across the S&P 500 have reinstituted their dividends to the point where they were pre-Rona recession. So if you're trying to estimate how much dividends, you know, taxable dividends you're going to have this year, do you use the previous year 2020 or do you go back to the previous year 2019? Maybe 2019 might be more realistic because 2020 now, was an off year. Because now it may be a reverse, you know, it, it, because you've got a larger refund that you're expecting. You may owe money. But you also if made you, more if you, money. If, if you, if, if, well, yeah, but you may be short on taxes. Right. Which you could be penalized. All right. So are you having that discussion? So, you know, I plan on having that discussion as we get closer to the end of the year, coordination of advisors working with our clients' investment advisors to get a, keep an eye on the actual dividends, right? And, and also working with our clients' tax preparers and saying, what are we using for our estimated tax safe harbor? Are we going with the 2020 level of dividends? Are we going to try to get a good uh, figure for 2021 and actually go with that? Or are we reverting in a conservative effort, revert back to the higher dividends in 2019 just to be safe? But at least this this is the type of analysis that if you're not having these discussions with your uh, CPAs and or your investment advisors and or financial planners, this is what we mean by coordinated effort that gets our client a better solution. Right. And you can take advantage of a free, no obligation consultation. Again, we're doing those by phone or in person. We have both affordable, comprehensive retainer fees. And that cover everything from recommendate analysis, recommendation to implementation or hourly options for people who might need just a little bit of help. And you can call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090 or contact us through the website at financialfoodforthought.com. That's financialfoodforthought.com. All right, Mark, Donnie, and Kara Waddell. I, I, I grabbed my uh, Miracle Child's letter, notice okay. number 144. See, you know where I call it the Miracle Baby, right? Have no. Have that story? I've told that story before, right? I've maybe. No, when, when my wife, at age 42, Oh, yeah, that's when you, yeah. She was pregnant with what would be her fifth child. My initial reaction was, well, how did that happen? <laughs> and she just looked at me dryly and said, well, Mark, I guess it was a miracle. <laughs> They're all miracles. Yeah, they are. So, mi compatriato. What? Oh, I got to flip it over. That's the Spanish side. Okay. The letter is Spanish on one side, English on the other. So, if you're looking for your notice, this is what it looks like. It's the head. the The heading is from the White House. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
and my fellow American. You know, it it's, goes on and on talking about a key part of the American Rescue Plan. So a lot of people just saw this and said, this is just propaganda. I, I don't need to save this. They're not even noticing that the the notice IRS notice number is up in the heading, right? Mm-hmm. And and the, and the, and it doesn't really. You know, and this is what you got to hang on to, because it announces. You know, I'm pleased to inform you that because of the American Rescue Plan, your direct payment of blah 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 was issued by your paper check debit card. You know, it's telling you that. And then of course it's signed by President Joseph Biden. Mm-hmm. Now I also did not hear CNN complaining. I was going to just say, didn't Trump? Didn't they have a fit? Oh, they they, they they blasted oh, they him. Were- and I didn't hear anybody complaining when, when President Biden said, okay, so keep, if you get those letters, keep those letters. They are important. They, are, they do the track thing. And, and especially if, um, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're getting all the stimulus checks you received. Um, all right, the 4% rule, Carrie, right? And you can go back and listen to last week's show mm-hmm. and and last week i i spun the four percent rule based on if you were worried about biden inflation right because part of if you go back and listen to last week's show that part of the assumptions that you're making in this four percent safe withdrawal rate is an assumption about inflation on your spending in retirement right so obviously if you change up the inflation factor it's going to change the solution of four percent right now, as I said at the beginning of this show, sometimes we hear uh, that there's a 10-minute retirement plan, meaning, you know, retirement planning is easy. I could do it for you in 10 minutes. If you hear that or you see an article headline along that way on the DIYI, chances are they're using some version of the 4% rule. The other thing, of course, we've all heard about and we all now know is that the biggest baby boomers retirement fear is, Carrie, running Running out out of money money? before life. And that's honestly universal, surprisingly, depending on your estate size. And I mean, because your spending is even though you have a larger estate, your spending's at a different level. So we've also, though, heard a lot of people say, yeah, I never ran out of money in retirement. So is it warranted the fear? Well, I don't know, Mark. I think well, over the years there's a couple people that have because okay. so that actually, we've run into that people have. So actually, the Employee Benefit Research Institute has given us some numbers on that. Okay, thing, all right, and and what they did is they broke the country down into quartiles. The lowest quart in terms of wealth, right? Okay, you have the lowest quartile, then the second lowest quartile then the second highest quartile, and then the highest quartile, okay? So the two lower quintiles or quartiles and the two higher quartiles. Okay. So the middle is somewhere in the middle there, right? Right. Now, so what they say is their studies say that 83% of the baby boomers in the lowest income quartile will run out of money in retirement. That's pretty sad. Yeah, that's a lot Okay, let's go to the second lowest quartile. They're saying 47%. That's still huge. Mm-hmm. How about the second highest quartile? And that's probably where most listeners of this show are falling in, 28%. Hmm. That's still, those, how those about, are not small percentages <laughs> for people yeah, running out of money. Yeah. How about the highest quartile? 13%. Now, one thing, though, is you have to drilled down a little bit because when you look at what they used, they used a retirement period of 35 years. Okay. Now, a lot of people say, Mark, my retirement isn't going to be 35 years. Right. Some say it's, you know. But what is your, that's why it's too personal and customized. And we talked about that with the 4% rule. Right. The 4% rule uses a 30-year time frame. Mm -hmm. So if they, so if you knock that 35 years down, um, well, they knocked it down to 20 years. Okay. And that may be too short, but 20 years, um, they're still saying 81% in the lowest quartile fail and 8% in the highest quartile fail. They don't give us the other one. So so it's still, so yeah, you could say the fear is valid, right? And so it's just the idea of, so 
it's the idea of how can I use these generalizations to know if I'm in the ballpark of that risk happening to me. Well, if you're looking at the two-minute retirement plan, Carrie, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. What you do is you add up your nest egg, you know, your mm-hmm. investments. That's your cash under the mattress, checking savings, CDs, savings bonds, annuities, and then, of course, your investments, you know, your stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, bonds, right. those things, right? All that together is what we call your nest egg. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're just going to use the million dollars because that does the math, right? So let's say you have a million-dollar nest egg. All right. And let's say you think you're going to last 30 years. Okay. So you simply take the million. This is the two minute plan, Carrie, right? You take the million dollars, divide by 30. That's you could spend, you know, you can withdraw 33,000 and change a year. Okay. About 2,800 a month, about 700 a week. Okay. And then you would add to that any fixed retirement income that you and your spouse are going to receive. And that would be, of course, your pensions and Social Security. And perhaps if you've got a newitized annuity, that you've created a contractual income for life. That's it. That's how much you get to spend. It's pretty simple, right? Right. Two minutes. All right. Um, There's too many. And I think it just gives people an idea. Maybe if they're in the ballpark, it's an oversimplification. And it may be, and a lot of people say, well, it's a very conservative. In other words, because what, what it's missing is it's assuming that you're never you're not going to earn anything on that million dollars in retirement. Right. You're putting it all under the mattress. Now, if you do it that way, it's conservative because you won't have to worry about any stock market or Bitcoin crashes, or you won't have to worry about if lower interest rates forever, because you're assuming no growth on the million dollars. So no risk, right? Mm-hmm. So you could say it's conservative from that standpoint. Is it realistic? I don't know. Um, so the other problem with that, though, is the Biden inflation, right? Because if you are assuming that your million dollars isn't growing, and let's say your pension, if you're lucky enough to get one, has doesn't have a cost of living increase to it. Now, Social Security still has a cost of living increase. It's not great. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest one ever will be next year, by the way. You, okay. you, that's coming because of the beach ball bounce recession recovery. But that will be an anomaly. It will, it will, it, the, the 10-year average will still come back. In the state planning team, we use 1.2%, a little bit lower than the rolling 10-year average. Be conservative. But there is a cost of living there. So that's the problem by the two-minute plan because – you're not going to be able to increase your spending. If you're spending 33000 a year, well, next year, you're not going to get the same thing for 33000 It's going to cost you more. So, one, so that's why sometimes the two-minute plan doesn't go far enough, right? Right. So you might want to invest a little bit more of your free time than the spending two minutes on your retirement plan. Right? Okay. You might, can, you, can you find an extra eight minutes? Can you do the 10-minute plan? Okay, sure. So let's say, you know, I know it's precious time, but mm-hmm. it is your retirement. Year, right. You know, so, so let's say you can do the 10-minute retirement. Okay. Was it like the, the statistic people plan more time on spending a vac- or planning a vacation than they do on their... Obviously. Mm-hmm. And we, the other axiom we say at the state planning team, because if you spent 30 years working for a company, don't spend 30 minutes making your pension election. You need more time than that. Um, so, but now under the ten-minute plan, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna upgrade your financial assumptions. So you may want to include an inflation factor mm-hmm. on your spending. You may also want to use a rate of return on your investments mm-hmm. because you're not just gonna leave it under the mattress. Right? Maybe you're gonna put it into some type of okay. a balanced portfolio. Now you're still gonna have a cash reserve, right? But maybe not all million dollars is gonna be under, you know, in cash. So let's say you want to assume 3.5% inflation. Okay. And maybe 5% rate of return on investments. Okay. In other words, how much risk do you need to try to stay a point, point and a half above inflation? Now, this is a good question to ask your investment advisor. Okay. If you're using one, right? And let them give you a recommendation. Now, when you when you get to that level of planning, 
And Kerry, you mentioned something last week too, which it also, you know, don't forget, we're in a low inflationary period right now, and we have been for a long time, right? But if inf- if inflation, interest rates, inflation goes right. up, so will your CD rates, right? You mentioned that last week. They're they're a joke. They're they're, they're but I'm saying it's correlated, right? So if if so rates if, go, inflation goes up, the earnings on your money right. is proportionally so it, yeah, going to go up. Yeah, it's a disconnect to say that. Mark, I believe that inflation is going to be three and a half percent, but my CDs are still going to be a half a percent. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't work right. that way. In either case. So now you're getting to the birth of the 4% rule, because that's exactly what William Benjamin was doing. He right. was saying, okay, let's look at this and saying, okay, I'm going to use a 30-year time period. Now, if you want to use 35 or 2025, 20, you know, that's up to right. you. Right. I'm going to assume a 5% rate of return. Okay. And I am going to assume 3.5%, you know, cost of living increases. Okay. You know, that, you know, typical, that's kind of how you get back to the, the solution was in the first year, you can take out 4%. And then each year after that, you're increasing your withdrawal by the rate of inflation that you chose. And then if you follow that plan, your million dollars would be approaching zero at the end of the 30th year. Okay. Now, again, that might not be your plan because some people want to leave an inheritance. Mm-hmm. Some people want to leave enough money to pay for a long-term care stay if, they, if that right. comes at the end of life. So you might have to modify your 4% rule to say, I don't want to bring my nest egg down to zero when I'm 90 or 95. Do I hear a hundred? I want to bring it down to X amount because I still want that amount there. If I need that for a nursing home or I'm trying to leave an inheritance, this is why sometimes you got to spend more than 10 minutes on a retirement plan. Now, but but the, the the other thing you can do though, once you get the math worked out on the four percent rule, and if you want to see the long math, come in for a consultation. Right, I'll show it to you. But we can take shortcuts once we've proven the long math, you mm-hmm. know, with short math. So, how do people, you know, and this is where you can use the four percent rule as a generalization to take a shortcut and say, well, what is it going to look like for me? So, for example. Obviously, if you had a million dollars, the 4% rule says you take out 40000 mm-hmm. right? That's what you get to spend. Well, that's a, 20, that's a factor of 25, right? Right. 40000 times 25 is a million dollars. Right. So you could just say, well, all right, if, if you know what you want to spend. Okay. So maybe it's, you don't want, it's not 40000 Okay. Maybe it's whatever, 75,000. Okay. Well, then you just take 75,000 times 25. Okay. And your solution is you would need an investment nest egg of 1,875,000. Okay. All right. Um, so that's, you know, in, that's how you can kind of just generalize it. Right. right. Now, don't forget, too, we're just looking based on if you'd had no other fixed retirement income. So if you were really, you know, spend, you know, 75,000, but, but you, you had social security and pension, you, pension, you then take you that make, out first right. and redo the math. Now, what if you say, yeah, but what happens if I don't believe that 5% is attainable anymore? Okay. Right. Well, then you would adjust it and you say, okay, let's say 4%. Okay. But keeping all the other assumptions the same, okay, now your factor is no longer 25. Right. It would be 28. Okay. So if you take back to the 40,000 times 28, you would need 1,120,000. Okay. Or you would do the other calculation if you only had a million and only assumed 4% rate of return. Your first year withdrawal wouldn't be forty thousand; it would be thirty-five thousand seven hundred. Okay. So that's how you can now. If your investment guy is saying five, hey, I, I can get you six, no problem. Right. Okay. Well, at six percent rate of return, your factor is twenty-two. Okay. 
So if you wanted to do 40,000, you wouldn't need a million. Okay. You would need 880,000. Okay. Okay. Or if your bogey was 75,000, but you think you could get a 6% rate of return, you're, you know, you take you take your 75,000 times 22, you would need a nest egg of 1,650,000. Okay. Now, so that's kind of how we use and help our clients understand that the 4% rule isn't broken. It's just the idea of, are you adjusting it for your own circumstances? Right. I think people, it's misused and, or you're not understanding the variables that come into play. But re, it, but when you really drill down, that still might not be enough time, 10 minutes to spend on your retirement plan. Because a lot of people say, for example, the reason the 4% rule is broken, Mark, is because it doesn't account, for example, investment management fees. In other words, is there a cost to do the investing? Or they may say it doesn't include income taxes. Or, or sometimes you read an article where the writer of the article is saying the reason why the 4% rule is faulty is because it doesn't account for income taxes. That you Well, see, no. In reality, well, I guess that's true, but in reality, the 4% rule doesn't make any distinction about what you spend the money on. See, that's what people don't understand. No, it just gives you a total. Spending. That's got to count. That's got to cover everything. Taxes, health care, your daily living expenses, your trips to Hawaii, your family gifting, your chair, home improvements, the replacement for the water, whatever. A wedding. Okay. Automobile <laughs> replacement. Mm-hmm. And those types of items aren't straight blind over 30 years. Right. So you can see, maybe I, I got to drill down and spend a little bit more than 10 minutes on my retirement plan if I really want the peace of mind that I can retire tomorrow. That's what we help our clients understand. And the 4% rule is a good starting point, but it might not give you the peace of mind to be in decision-making mode to walk in and retire tomorrow. Right. All right, and you can take advantage of a free, no obligation, no pressure consultation by phone or in person. Call now. We'll give you a call back on Monday morning, or you can send contact us through their website uh, at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090 or financialfoodforthought.com. So we'll stay on the 4% rule, Carrie, because what I've been tracking is... How is the 4% rule holding up if you started at the beginning of the lost decade? Hmm. Where we had two 50% drops in the S&P 500 in a 10-year period. Never happened before. Happened in that time period between 1999 and then 2008. So I'll see how, if people there, how the 4% rule is holding up. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.